activate the mind without dwelling anywhere. The Diamond Cutter Scripture Hello, and welcome to A New Order of Things. I'm your host, Eddie Killian. And this is a weekly podcast where creating conversations and community around building winning individuals and organizations is our goal. Zen master Tuan, who lived from 1573 to 1645, wrote The Inscrutable Subtlety of Immovable Wisdom. In chapter 1, section 1, titled The Affliction of Ignorant States of Fixation, opens with the following paragraph. Ignorance is written with the characters meaning no enlightenment and refers to confusion. A state of fixation is written with characters meaning state of lingering and refers to the 52 stages of Buddhist practice. Within these 52 stages, wherever the mind lingers is called a state of fixation. Fixation means lingering, and lingering means keeping the mind on something, wherever it may be. While I was reading this, I remembered that I had seen this idea recently, and with a little thought and some file searching, I found it. Paul Graham of Y Combinator fame and his blog archive. His July 2010 blog post was titled, What Are You Lingering On? And it states, in his words, I realized recently that what one thinks about in the shower in the morning is more important than I had thought. I knew it was a good time to have ideas. Now, I'd go further. And now I'd say that it's hard to do a really good job on anything that you don't think about in the shower. Everyone who's worked on difficult problems is probably familiar with the phenomena of working hard to figure something out, failing, and then suddenly seeing the answer a bit later while doing something else. There's a kind of thinking you do without trying to. I'm increasingly convinced this type of thinking is not merely helpful in solving hard problems, but necessary. The tricky part is, you can only control it indirectly. He continues, I think most people have one top idea in their mind at any given time. That's the idea their thoughts will drift toward when they're allowing it to drift freely. And this idea will thus tend to get all the benefit of that type of thinking, while others are starved of it which means it's a disaster to let the wrong idea become the top one in your mind. What made this clear to me was having an idea I didn't want as the top one in my mind for two long stretches. He continues, I noticed startups got way less done when they started raising money, but it was not till we ourselves raised money that I understood why. The problem is not the actual time it takes to meet with investors. The problem is that once you start raising money, Raising money becomes the top idea in your mind. That becomes what you think about when you take a shower in the morning. And that means other questions aren't. I'd hated raising money when I was running via web, but I'd forgotten why I hated it so much. When we raised money for a Y Combinator, I remembered. Money matters are particularly likely to become the top idea in your mind. The reason is that they have to be. It's hard to get money. It's not the sort of thing that happens by default. It's not going to happen unless you let it become the thing you think about in the shower. And then you'll make little progress on anything else you'd rather be working on. The reason this struck me so forcibly is that for most of the preceding 10 years, I'd been able to think about what I wanted. 
So the contrast, so the contrast when I couldn't was sharp. But I don't think this problem is unique to me because just about every startup I've seen grinds to a halt when they start raising money or talking to acquirers. Paul continues here. You can't directly control where your thoughts drift. If you're controlling them, they're not drifting. But you can control them indirectly by controlling what situations you let yourself get into. That has been the lesson for me. Be careful what you let become critical to you. Trying to get yourself into situations where the most urgent problems are the ones you want to think about. You don't have complete control, of course, as emergency could push other thoughts out of your head. But barring emergencies, you have a good deal of indirect control over what becomes the top idea in your mind. I've found that there are two types of thoughts especially worth avoiding. One I've already mentioned, thoughts about money. And getting money is, almost by definition, an attention sink. The other is disputes. These two are engaging in the wrong way. They have the same Velcro-like shape as genuinely interesting ideas, but without the substance. So avoid disputes if you want to get real work done. Paul continues. Even Isaac Newton fell into this trap. After publishing his Theory of Colors in 1672, he found himself distracted by disputes for years, finally concluding that the only solution was to stop publishing. He states, I see I have made myself a slave to philosophy, but if I get free of Mr. Linus's business, I will resolutely bid adieu to it externally, accepting what I do for my private satisfaction or leave to come out after me. For I see a man must either resolve to put out nothing new or become a slave to defend it. Linus and his students at Liege were among the more tenacious critics, and Newton's biographer Westfall seems to feel that he was overreacting. Recall that at the time he wrote Newton's slavery consisted of, can actually consisted of five replies to Liege, totaling 14 printed pages over the course of one year. I personally, Paul's words, am some more sympathetic to Newton. The problem was not the 14 pages, but the pain of having this stupid controversy constantly reintroduced at the top, as the top idea in a mind that wanted so eagerly to think about other things. Turning the other cheek turns out to have selfish advantages. Someone who does you an injury hurts you twice, first by the injury itself, and second by taking up your time afterward thinking about it. If you learn to ignore injuries, you can at least avoid the second half. I've found I can, to some extent, avoid thinking about nasty things people have done to me by telling myself, this doesn't deserve space in my head. I'm going to interrupt here. Subnote. Quote, When another blames you or hates you or people voice similar criticisms, go to their souls. Penetrate inside and see what sort of people they are. You will realize that there is no need to be racked with anxiety that they should hold any particular opinion about you. In other words, who cares what somebody else thinks about you? And that's a quote from Marcus Aurelius in his book Meditations. Back to Paul. I'm always delighted to find I've forgotten the details of disputes because that means I hadn't been thinking about them. My wife thinks I'm more forgiving than she is, but my motives are purely selfish. I suspect a lot of people aren't sure what's the top idea in their mind at any given time. I'm often mistaken about it myself. I tend to think it's the idea I'd want to be at the top one, rather than the one that it actually is. But it's easy to figure this out. Just take a shower. What topic do your thoughts keep returning to? 
If it's not what you want it to be thinking about, then you might want to change something. And that's the end of Paul's thoughts on that. There's a science of how showers can help thought and creativity. Creativity, at its very core, boils down to this. And I quote from researchist Alice Flaherty. A creative idea will be defined simply as one that is both novel and useful or influential in a particular social setting. She goes on. This applies to every field, explains Flaherty, including programming, business, mathematics, etc., together with the more traditional, quote, creative fields, such as music or drawing. And yet, there is still a very distinct process behind it. What is actually active in our brain when we're doing something creatively? That's always been an extremely hard thing to track, as creativity has always been considered a very vague activity, until recently. Researchers Alan Braun and Suyan Suyan Liu decided to track the brain activity of rappers doing freestyle and turn it into a research study. What Braun and Liu found was fascinating. When we're being creative, some of the everyday brain areas are completely deactivated, whilst others we don't usually use in our everyday lives light up. They explain, Artists show lower activity in part of their frontal lobes called the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex during improvisation, and increased activity in another area called the medial prefrontal cortex. The areas that were found to be deactivated are associated with regulating the other brain functions. In layman terms, Braun states, we think that what we see is a relaxation of executive functions to allow a more natural, defocused attention and uncentered processes to occur that might be the hallmark of creativity. When in a creative state, the areas in our brain that we use to make decisions are largely inactive. And the medial prefrontal cortex area, which is responsible for learning, association, context, events, and emotional responses, however, are extremely active during these creative processes. This is so fascinating because for the very first time, there is an activity, freestyle rap, that is deeply creative and fairly straightforward to measure. From an observer and researcher's standpoint, it makes sense to substitute freestyle rapping for writing or drawing or solving programming problems and more, states Braun. Come to find out, this state of the brain during creative moments is similar to our brain's activity while we sleep. We'll have more on that in a moment. So, why do we have great ideas in the shower? The fact that freestyle rapping shows us a high level of creativity still doesn't explain why great ideas happen in the shower. But Alice Flaherty, again, who I mentioned earlier, is one of the most renowned neuroscientists researching creativity, and she has an answer for us. She has found that another ingredient that's even more important for us to be creative is dopamine. The more dopamine that is released, the more creative we are, she says. She quotes, People vary in terms of their level of creative drive according to the activity of the dopamine pathways of the limbic system. Typical triggers for events that make us feel great and relaxed and therefore give us an increased dopamine flow are taking a warm shower exercising, driving home after a hard day, the chances of having great ideas then are a lot higher. Dopamine alone, which gets triggered in hundreds of events, where we aren't very creative, is not the only reason. Another crucial factor is distraction, says Harvard researcher Mr. Carson. 
In other words, a distraction may provide the break you need to disengage from a fixation, remember we talked about fixation in the opening paragraph, on the ineffective solution, the question we're not supposed to be looking to. Think about this. You've thought long and hard all day about a problem. Jumping into the shower is a distraction and can turn into what scientists call the incubation period for your ideas. The subconscious mind has been working extremely hard to solve the problems you face, and now that you give yourself a distraction, letting your mind wander, it can move those subconscious thoughts into your conscious mind. After having received an influx of dopamine, you can easily be distracted by some habitual task, like showering or vacuuming. A relaxed state of mind is absolutely important to be creative, says researcher Jonah Lehrer. Why is a relaxed state of mind so important for creative insights? When our minds are at ease, when those alpha waves are rippling through the brain, we're more likely to direct the spotlight of attention inward, toward that stream of remote associations emanating from the right hemisphere. In contrast, when we are diligently focused, our attention tends to be directed outward, toward the details of the problems that we're trying to solve. And while this pattern of attention is necessary when solving problems analytically, it actually prevents us from detecting the connections that lead to insights, the creativity part. That's why so many insights happen during warm showers. For many people, it's the most relaxing part of the day. It's not until we're being massaged by warm water, unable to check our email, that we're finally able to hear the quiet voices in the backs of our heads telling us about this insight. The answers have been there all along. We just weren't listening. So it seems to be the magic combination. If you're in a relaxed state of mind, easy to distract, and full of dopamine, your brain is most likely to give you the best, most creative ideas. So just moments ago, I quoted one of our scientists, and I said, In contrast, when we are diligently focused, our attention tends to be directed outward, toward the details of the problems we're trying to solve. While this pattern of attention is necessary when solving problems analytically, I continue the quote, it actually prevents us from detecting the connections that lead to insights. Did you catch that? When we're thinking about the outside stuff, we're missing what's going on on the inside, the creativity side. In 2001, David Allen released his book, Getting Things Done, subtitled The Art of Stress-Free Productivity. And in that book, Alan promotes the idea that the human brain is not designed to utilize, be utilized as a to-do list. It's not a filing cabinet. Based on science, Alan shows that the brain can only deal with about seven items in the short-term working memory. Mix that part of the system and the administrative controls in the brain cannot rest. Like earlier in our, what we discussed earlier in the podcast, those systems are the ones that are taking breaks during creativity moments. From the research titled, Getting Things Done, The Science Behind Stress-Free Productivity, I'll quote. Here we go. One fundamental criticism of symbolic theories is that if you try to represent all the relevant aspects of the real world with symbols, which is how our brains work, if we work in symbols and pictures, your representation becomes much too complex to be systematically explored by a computer and a fortiori by the human brain. Indeed, the brain is limited by the famous magical number seven. Not more than about seven items can be held simultaneously in working memory. A sufficiently detailed description of a real-world situation will typically include hundreds of symbols, words, concepts, features, etc. That can be combined in millions of different ways, making it essentially impossible to manipulate these symbols in order to systematically explore all their potentially relevant combinations. Instead, 
the brain relies on its long-term memory, which can store millions of facts in quickly reorganized patterns in the, in, in the incoming information. Recognized parts of function as stimuli that trigger appropriate responses or actions. Unlike a computer program, this neural network structure of the brain is very good at identifying patterns, at associating perceived patterns with the appropriate actions, and at storing these associations in long-term memory. This also goes directly back to System 1 and System 2 thinking that Daniel Kahneman drills into his, his book, and we've discussed this in earlier podcasts. However, it is very poor at simultaneously keeping several such patterns actively in the mind while reasoning because the corresponding patterns of neural activation tend to interfere with each other. Moreover, activation quickly decays because of diffusion and neural fatigue. Finally, while long-term memory is very effective at recognition, and it takes a lot of effort to get in there, it is rather poor at recall, reviving memory patterns without perceptual stimulation. This is illustrated by the tip of the tongue phenomena, where a fact, such as a colleague's name, cannot be recalled, even though you know the memory is right there. In that sense, human memory is much less reliable than a computer memory for retrieving the fact outside of the concrete context that reminds you of that fact. In other words, we have to clear our minds, perform a brain dump, and all those to-do type tasks need to end up on paper so we don't have to think about them anymore, so we can allow our creative conscious and subconscious regions to be accessed easier and be positively creative. You may remember that I mentioned the idea of the most important question the MIQ, of Josh Waitzkin's design in our episode 7, which was our very first Taco Tuesday conversation. Well, Waitzkin's MIQ process looks something like this. First, you identify your most important question. At the end of your workday, reflect on what that number one most important question is for you to answer in your life right now. What's the question that, if answered, would create the biggest positive impact in your life? At any point in time, there's only one question that's the most important for us to solve in our life. Identifying it is half the battle. Now, write your MIQ down. I do this in a designated MIQ journal, but you can use Evernote or OneNote or whatever other tool you'd like. No harm, no foul. Here's the hard part. After it's written down, stop thinking about that question. Once you've written it down, that is your invitation for the conscious mind to let go of wrestling with the challenge for the rest of the day. Do your best to stay present with the rest of the activities of your day. After an evening free of the questions thought and a full night's sleep, remember we talked about this is how our brains work when we're sleeping, being more creative, those creative parts of the brain are active while the, uh, the administrative side of the brain is asleep. Free write on your question shortly after waking up in the morning in your journal or whatever it is that you're using. And maybe due to our other information that we learned a little bit earlier, after your shower. When your mind is sharpest and clearest, when you've had the most dopamine dump, when you are allowing your subconscious mind to move those, those ideas into the conscious, after you have had time to connect the dots around that MIQ. Do a brain dump about the topic. Just, just vomit out the thoughts that are coming out as you're thinking about it onto paper. I often find that a challenge that previously felt intimidating, scary, or complex will feel much simpler and easier to face, and you will work your way through its answer. Finally, use your journaling to make a decision. If there's a decision that needs making, use your journaling to inform it. 
trust your gut. Most of the time, you'll be able to pick the right path, and then you're there. Now, remember Mr. Graham's thoughts about what is lingering in our minds may not be the best use of our time? And Zen Master Tuan's description of fixation on a topic? The MIQ process assists in maintaining subconscious work on what is important, not the easy thing that our mind gets stuck on. Researchers Cresswell, Bursley, and Set Poot at Carnegie Mellon University did some significant research on unconscious thought processes and its effects on decision-making and performance. Links to all of these research papers are in the show notes, by the way. Their paper, titled Neural Reactivation Links Unconscious Thought to Decision-Making Performance. And it finds that, and I'll quote, The nature of the unconscious mind has long challenged philosophers and scientists, but the present work offers a new perspective on this topic by way of examining the brain. We find that brain regions that are active during encoding new decision information reactivate while the brain coordinates responses to other unrelated tasks and that this unconscious neural reactivation is associated with decision-making performance when participants are prompted to make decisions. In other words, it shows that brain regions important for decision-making remain active even while our brains may be simultaneously engaged in unrelated tasks, such as sleeping, thinking about a math problem, playing a board game with the family in the evening. What's most intriguing about this finding is that participants did not have any awareness that their brains were still working on the decision problem while they were engaged in an unrelated task. So, once you've written it down at the end of your work day in your MIQ journal and you don't want to think about it anymore, the front part of your brain, the more active part of your brain, is dealing with and working with the family and the making of dinner and the playing and so on and so on, and then goes to sleep. Once you're in sleep mode, now your brain shuts down, the administrative part of your brain shuts down, takes a break and decides to relax, and the creative parts keep moving, and you wake up in the morning and you get in the shower, and you get a dopamine dump, and it all comes together as the answers to your questions were being worked on by your subconscious, the creative part, overnight. I think we've discussed the basic points of thinking better. And I guarantee that we will be returning to the topic of the most important question and thinking better in future episodes and diving deeper into these ideas and real-world observations and how they are pertinent within our lives our businesses, and our organizations today. Links to all the quoted resources are in the show notes and in the transcript on my website, eddiekillian.com. Join me next Tuesday as we continue to travel the path of what is difficult, perilous, and uncertain as we explore introducing a new order of things. I'm your host, Eddie Killian, and this concludes episode 14. For exclusive content, notifications of each episode release, and sign up for my newsletter, head over to the website, eddiekillian.com. Click on the link in the show notes and join the conversation, or contact me directly at interesting at eddiekillian.com. A new order of things is available to listen to completely free on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and all the other places that you choose to find your podcasts. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave a quick review. Oh, and please share a new order of things with friends and coworkers. Make it a great day.